Welcome to episode 11 of the Spectrum Lounge. Host Rebecca Theodore Bashan welcomes back film critics Candace Frederick, Erica Mann, and BET.com entertainment editor Jerry L. Barrow as they review the coming-of-age drama Jin and Green Book, starring Mahershala Ali as real-life classical pianist Dr. Don Shirley. This review contains major spoilers. Proceed at your own risk. So Jin is a is an indie film that's directed by Nigla Mumin. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. With Zoe Renee and Simone Missick. Um, it's a coming of age story. Basically, Zoe Renee plays Summer. She is a, a young black teenage girl, and her mother converts to uh, to Islam. Um, and so she converts to Islam too. And so it's this really. I saw it at South by Southwest, and I had read the synopsis, and I was like, you know, and I'm I'm Nigla interestingly enough, was also a, f- a film critic who was also a filmmaker. Um, so I used to read her reviews on Shadow and Act. We followed each other on Twitter, and I just, you know, she did some short films. And so I was always excited about Jen because she's, uh, Nigel is very engaged and interested in the lives of young black women and has a different lens, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so when I saw... Uh, walked into uh, when I walked into Jen I was like okay we're gonna get something special I did not know I was gonna end up walking out of that movie crying (laughs) I really didn't and I'll tell you why because with Jen it's really an exploration of this young woman really trying to reconcile her faith with her sexual awakening and I think that was something that really resonated with me because I grew up in a very conservative Christian household Uh, my dad was a pastor And so, you know, ever since I was a little girl, the message was always like, you wait until you get married to have sex. Uh, Kissing with boys is wrong. Touching with boys is wrong. Having any sexual feelings are wrong. So, of course, you hit puberty and you're having all these feelings and you're like, well, what am I supposed to, like, where do I put it? Where do I bottle it up? And you're just feeling like sinful all the time and praying all the time. And so with Jen, it was really about her trying to find the balance within herself where she was like, yes, I'm, you know, I'm Muslim and I love Allah and I, you know, and I, I this faith is, is important to me, but also retaining her sexual autonomy at the same time and, and, and knowing that these feelings are good and that they're valid. And sometimes those feelings, th- those two things cannot exist within the same body, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a young black woman, right? Because they want you to choose. It's the whole Madonna whore. Thing. And so it, it's just a lovely movie. Number one, we rarely get, I mean, we've had movies um, that portray Muslim characters, but rarely black Muslim characters, which right. has always been confounding to me because growing up in Brooklyn, all I've ever known are black Muslim people. Okay. You know what I mean? I mean, also, you know, from the Middle East too, but I've, I've been knowing black, went to school with them, everything. Um, and I think Anajla just does a really lovely job. And um, I just feel like these type of movies and I don't like to police about I don't like to police the kind of movies that come out. I think, you know, movies about slavery are important. Movies about racism are important. Uh, movies about police brutality like The Hate You Give. Haven't seen The Hate You Give, but I mean, all of these movies all uh, contribute to our story as a people. But I'm always happy when we have a movie where it's not through like this gaze of trauma right where she has problems and she has issues but it's not about the destruction of the black body it's not about um you know a body that's shot or a body that's killed like part of the reason why i haven't seen the hate you give to be quite honest with you is that i 
don't have it within me right now. Mm-hmm. To see that, it's like, I know it's an important movie, and I know we need to talk about police brutality, but I just kind of feel, and I feel like maybe that's a podcast we'll probably have to have in the future, is like... There's how, been a lot this year. Yeah, yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. how do we as you know, this is just something to just put a pin in is like how we as black film critics, when we walk into these type of movies, it's not the same as a white critic. You know what I mean? Because when we're, to me, it's like when we watch those type, those type of movies or even the directors or the actors that have to um, enact those scenes or write those scenes, I feel like it's sort of like a re-traumatization. Like mm. we're, we're, even if it's, it's, it's on the paper and it's like, okay, you have to act like you are killed by a cop. As a black actor or actress, I'm sure you're not just walking away and going home and be like, oh, that was a great scene. You know what I mean? So bringing it back to Jen, I just love the fact that we can get to see black girlhood um, and also to see black girlhood that's not sanitized in a way where it's like we're just the good girls and we're not allowed to be sexual. It's totally fine because I feel like sometimes white female characters, they have that space where they can be sexual and they can explore their sexual identity and black women, we have to be the good girls. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or They if, also get more of, more of a range of narratives. Yeah. Like they can be like, you know, a vixen, but they can also be mm-hmm. a, a nun in another movie. Like we don't get that opportunity. We don't get that. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to hear like what did you I, I appreciate it for that same reason because the last movie that I saw that centered um, black um, American Muslims was Muslim which Me came too. out back in like what is that 2010 20 it was it was it's been a minute um, that was Kasim Basir's yes. uh, movie Love that, that had, movie. had Nia Long and Evan Ross and when I was um, so I, I, I interviewed Simone Missick for this and one of the observations I made is that this one felt like it was more inside looking out from the Muslim family's perspective, where Muslim felt more like the Muslim family trying to deal with the outside world's imposition on them. Mm-hmm. Um, this felt more like how they were, how Summer was dealing with her her religion and her faith, and how that, like you said, was interacting with her outside world because we see how she, she takes the picture mm-hmm. and she thinks it's gonna get one kind of reaction, but then it gets way more, um, Response than she was bargaining for, and that's something that kid teenagers do. Trust me, I have a 15 year old, <laughs> and they are all out here trying to figure out their, you know, their 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 sexuality and what the boundaries are. And technology is just making that way more complicated than it needs to be. And then you add the element of of uh, changing or evolving faith. You know, her mother Simone plays her mother Jade. Her, she's a, a meteorologist. And we get to see her. She's on television, and she's about to, you know, you know, start wearing hijab on yeah. national television, which mm-hmm. is a big deal, mm-hmm. professionally and personally. And she knows that's going to open her up to certain types of to um, reactions and ridicule. And so she's dealing with that herself. And then her daughter is dealing with her mother's changing faith and. She's wondering, okay, well, maybe I should embrace him. And, and you start to wonder, is Summer doing it just for herself? Or is she doing it because she's trying to stay connected to her mother? Because her parents are divorced. Right. You know, she, um, her her father is, um, her, Simone's ex-husband is her real-life husband, Dorian Missick, yeah. David. So I understand as a teenager whose parents have already separated, you, you see your mother she, in her poem. She's talking about her mother is, um, she's losing herself in the books. 
you know, and she's trying to find a way to stay connected to her. So she's like, well, mom, maybe I should try, you know, Islam. Like religion is a shirt that you can try on <laughs> to see if it fits. Yeah. And she literally does that. You know, she goes to, to the mosque and she puts on and she attends and she's like, I'm not, sh-, you know, she, you can see her. She's kind of tentative. But then, of course, what draws her in? A boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it seems cliche, but it's yeah. still very honest to how kids, how oh, teenagers think. I know there were tons of things, you know, growing up that I probably wouldn't have been interested in had there not been a girl involved, you know. So I didn't feel like that was, a, you know, a cop-out of any way. I felt it was like it was real. But I really enjoyed the film because it, it, it felt more like a family's journey through their faith as opposed to, like you said, there being some type of outside trauma yes. um, that drove the narrative. So. What did you think, Candice? Uh, so I didn't love it. Okay. And Apple didn't really love Muslim as well. I don't, I, I don't know. But... For I'll say with Jin, I had trouble really connecting with it. Everything seemed very put on. I will say that we do need a lot more coming of age movies, and we do need a lot more mm-hmm. Black Muslim um, movies as well. Particularly because I I feel like I've known someone like every every phase of my life. I've known I've had at least one good friend who's a Black Muslim, so I don't really know why they're just absent on screen completely. I never thought that summer. I always thought that she was just kind of putting on this religion just because this is what her mom is doing. So she's just doing that too. Everything seemed very superficial mm. for me. I was just like, oh, she's just doing this for this. Or she's just doing it for the, the boy. That it never really seemed like it was she was trying to defend it until she felt she needed to among her friends, which right. was also an interesting um, relationship that she had with them. Yeah, I... I yeah, it just even like the ending. I was just like, oh, she's just gonna go to school. Okay, like it, like by that point, I think I was just very disconnected with it. Like I didn't feel anything for these characters. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, with Summer, I think because Nigella, uh, the filmmaker herself, she grew up in a in a Muslim American family, and I th- I think the thing that I was looking at when I was looking at when I was watching Jin is sort of like the difference between religion and faith, right? Mm. Because religion is something that is structured, it's systematic, right? There are rules, there are things that you have to do. Um, And then with faith, it's really more about a connecting of your spiritual self, right? Mm -hmm. And what is true to you. And I think with Summer, what what was really true to her was her dancing. Mm. The thing that she was the most committed to was, was the art. Right. And I do feel that her becoming a Muslim in a way kind of opened her up in ways Hmm. um, that she hadn't before, because even though initially the draw was uh, a boy. Right. But actually spending time with his family, what it did is it actually educated her and demystified a lot of ideas that she had about Muslims, because I think that has been a huge complaint in Hollywood and in the media that usually when you have Muslim characters. Oh, they're usually a terrorist. You know what I mean? Which is why I just could not with Homeland by the third season. I'm like, y'all could have that. Mm. Um, You know what I mean? But I think by even hanging out with him, it was just sort of like, and just seeing how his... uh, how his parents, the boy's parents, related to each other. They were they were normal. Like they were just joking and playing around in the house. Like when she was looking at the house and she was like, Oh, it's it's 
furnished just like a regular American <laughs> house. You know what I mean? And so, and I think by using her, like Summer's character is really like a gateway even for moviegoers who walk in having certain perceptions of what they think Muslims should be. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it, it's, it's, it's strongest when it does uh, focus in on the, the, you know, for young women, there are sexual identities. I think uh, Nigel got that dead right because I was just yeah. watching. I was like, yup, <laughs> that's exactly was how it Summer, is. Was Summer bisexual? Cause, or had know. tendencies? Because I know before she became involved with the boy, right? early on, she's having conversations with the young lady that's right. like serving yeah. her yeah. and she's like flirting. Yeah. And one of her friends yeah. says, that's your new boo? Yeah. So, and Summer didn't deny it. She just kind of just smiled yeah. and it was so subtle. But they they never a... revisited, but you kind of see that her sexuality hasn't fully formed it yet. has and it hasn't it mm -hmm. hasn't and i think that's the thing is that um <laughs> and i say this like with every generation um as far as um exploring our sexual identities like i didn't even realize i was bi until i was in my 30s you know what i mean the only two options that you had were straight or lesbian and I was like well I know I'm not a lesbian <laughs> because <laughs> I like men too much so it was just sort of like okay and so now that you know and so but I'm, she was cute <laughs> yeah you know what I'm saying and, and that's me in my 30s and so and what's amazing to me is like to see teenage girls and, and girls who are in their 20s who are just so crystal clear on their sexuality and not wanting to have to put a label like we're the older we're the ones that keep wanting to put the for that what summer was doing in that scene is totally normal for a lot of teenagers like i'll be on the train and i see how high school te you know a group of high school uh uh teenagers will relate to each other you know what i mean and it's like two boys could be together or two girls or a boy and two girls you know what i mean like they're doing stuff that i was just like what? Mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's it's normal for them. The like, one the one thing to that to the point about the sexuality that I appreciated is that there was the scene where um I want to say it was the boy's mother defended her in the mosque. Remember how the the mm -hmm. pa uh, what's the equivalent of pastor? I'm I'm not sure what to call it. um yeah. the oh, leader the leader of the yeah. mosque yeah. um was admonishing her for the picture and she yeah. came up afterward and was like you were out of line for that. That yes. was dead wrong. However, okay. uh -huh. she drew the line with her getting involved with her son in the house. Right. So it was great to see that she was able to acknowledge her right to be sexual. Mm -hmm. But also still have boundaries and yeah. not just be able, not just accepting of everything she did. And I love the nuance of that because mm -hmm. we're taught that someone has to either condone everything you do or right. they have to, um, you know, embrace everything you do. Yes. And in that instance, we all, we were able to see it's possible to support someone's, mm -hmm. you know, choices and and humanity without necessarily. Um, you know, agreeing with everything that they do. Right. You know, so humans I, I like are a contra human beings are a contradiction. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There. And w w the other thing too is like expanding on that was like even Summer's interactions with her girlfriends. Right. Mm -hmm. That while this very while you know we're watching the movie and we're watching her you know Summer come into her own and trying to uh, reconcile her sexual identity and her autonomy, it was interesting to see how even within the group of circle of female friends they had, how they would slut shame the, each other. Yep. Oh, you know yeah, what I'm that saying? That scene in the dance studio yes. was brutal. So here she is. Ooh. 
here she is talking about, oh, well, I don't want to be seen as a slut and I want to, you know, assert myself. And then she weaponized that mm -hmm. against one of her own female friends. And, yeah. and that's she, something, yeah. She did that mm -hmm. way more harshly. Yes. <laughs> you know? I was like, she's just talking about your little, your little pictures that you're taking on Instagram. What you did, you're just like, you're completely slut shaving her. Mm -hmm. so, and that, to a point where it's so interesting because I was just like, are y'all really friends? Because none of you mm -hmm. guys seem very friendly. Exactly. Right. You seem friendly at first, but now it's just like, y'all like really hate on each other. Yeah, and that's that's the dynamics of a lot of um, female friendships sometimes. It's like that, What would it, they coined that on uh, Friends in the City, frenemies, right? Mm. That's a real thing. That is a real thing. Like you can have two female friends. And we, you saw a little bit of that in, in Atlanta too, right? With Van and her friend who came to visit her in the first season, right? Like yes. she met Van and within five minutes she was already insulting her. She insulted her hair. Mm -hmm. She insulted her parenting skills. She insulted her relationship. Yep. But yeah, girl, I'm so glad to see you. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this? Yep. <laughs> you yep. Know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, um, Jen is, uh, I, I, I liked it. I, I, you know, if, if I would recommend it, I think I think it's a really good. And I'm really excited for Nigel because I'm really excited to see what she's going to do next. I know she um, directed an episode of A Queen Sugar, which is one of my favorite shows mm -hmm. on television right now. So it'll be interesting uh, to see where she what she does next. I, I, I wish all the good things for her. So um, our final review. Oh, my. Let's talk about Green Book, y'all. <laughs> Let's talk about Green Book. Let's well, talk about yo, so when I first saw the trailer, I posted the trailer on, on BET.com. My first thing I noticed was like, okay, there's no black women in this trailer. So that's always a red flag for me when there's a movie that had, that centers a black man. And I, I go through the whole thing, and there's like no black women. Yeah, I sent it to you. Yeah. And I was like, go look at that. And I watched it, and I said, whoa, something's off here. And, of course, they were the early – descriptions or comparisons I should say to Driving Miss Daisy you know this is Driving Miss Daisy in reverse oh my gosh so I went into the screening with really low expectations um, so the first time I watched it I, I walked out I didn't I, I wasn't upset um, I, I kind of liked it I didn't hate it I, I felt like Mahershala was amazing in his portrayal. He, you know how they say actors, be, you don't see them anymore? I didn't see Mahershala. Mm -hmm. I saw Dr. Um, Don Shirley when he was up on that screen and, you know, in his robes and in his suits and just the way he talked and the, the, the even in, the, in that crazy chicken scene that everybody's eviscerating, his whole, his mannerism, he's like, what do we do with the bones? And like, it was just, it was funny, but it was so heartfelt. But I so much wanted it more to be more about his story. I really feel like the name Green Book, it's kind of a misnomer. It's it the Green Book is kind of a prop in the film to me. Um, they they allude to it as much as they need to to make the connection for people, but it's very much just the, this is a road trip friendship story between Tony the Lip and Don Shirley. And when I realized that the story was basically Don Shirley, I mean not um Tony the Lip's son who was recalling his conversations with his father and Don Shirley is from his perspective, then it was like, oh, I see what this is. But this movie wouldn't have gotten made if it was called the Tony Lip story. So you had to come up with a better name. And then, of course, early on, people were like, wait a minute, how is the guy from Dumb and Dumber directing this film? Oh How come he gets to to, to do oh, this? Oh, wait, he directed it? Yeah. yeah. Girl. One oh of the God. Ferrelli brothers. That was yeah. the guy who's sitting right next oh, yeah. to me on the panel. That's mm -hmm. okay. Right. So so that was my first question for him in the junket is like, how do you go? Well, I had said, I'd, I'd said movie 43. I was like, how do you go from doing movie 43 to doing this? And I know he got that question a lot, but it is part of the privilege for certain people in Hollywood that you can make Why that people? leap 
thank you, <laughs> that you can Thanks, go Candace. from doing you know, like a movie 43 or Dumb and Dumber and then be handed a film like this. And he's like, well, you know, he gave me his backstory and his history and how he had the relationships. And, and that's usually how these things happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't begrudge him for that. But and, and it's not like he made a bad movie. But I just wish, you know, black folks were afforded that same latitude when it came when it comes to changing genres. Because if you're Kevin Hart or you're somebody who's known for doing comedy, you're not just going to get handed the keys to direct a drama uh, based on based on a true story you know, the first time out. That said, I think it was a good movie. I think Mahershala was amazing. He's a lot for Best Supporting Actor. Um, nomination at the very least, definitely a, a win, hopefully. Um, and I know there are definitely issues with it. I do think there needs to be another movie made where we get Don Shirley's story and the Green Book more fleshed out and from a perspective because I, I, I watched this the second time and while I enjoyed it more the second time I kept thinking God in the hands of Barry Jenkins or Ava this mm-hmm. would be in a whole different story mm. and I'll just stop there okay mm-hmm. so what did you what did you think Erica um so yeah it's so funny I was over at TIFF and um I did not see this film at TIFF um I I had my schedule set and unfortunately due to schedule I didn't see it but I knew a lot of people did see it and so I was back home looking at the reviews and based off of my friends who were there who are black critics I, w- I was like oh okay okay um <laughs> sure this does not sound promising at all so lo and behold my surprise when it won audience favorite I was like oh, it did it won audience yeah, favorite over did. a few other films mm-hmm. I think Beale Street and so I was still like okay question mark what's going on here mm. <laughs> there's some disconnect between what I'm hearing and then the awards and then when I saw the screening I with uh, Rebecca you've moderated mm. um this film got a standing ovation yes which usually doesn't happen from never here. Nope. Um, not at least not and I you know I've been moderating the academy panels for a year. This is including Mudbound and uh Wrinkle in Time Shape of Water and Black Klansman and Shape of Water. No. It, they got applause yeah. but not standing ovation it's, it's, like green book it got a standing ovation at the academy screening and i was just sitting there because i don't i don't be standing for anything that i don't really like so i just I, but I, I was by myself because everyone was standing and so i so i was kind of racking my brain about it because i thought it was a fine film for what it is um i think someone a review said it was like a disney-fied version of a jim crow film Woo! and i was like Hmm. That sounds about right. <laughs> like, it, like it's not. Like, it's not. It, it's a feel. I said it's a feel good film that makes white will make white people feel very good about themselves. Mm. In the in essence of what the help did a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I think that's yeah. why it's getting so much praise already because it's not. It's not. Too, it's it, it's racism, but it's it's racism light. Like a little bit, it scratches the surface where you see it, but it doesn't get too violent. It, you know, you get the the angry. You know, very almost cartoonish white people and then you know but luckily Tony's there to save the day and and call them out and and everything at the end you know they had Christmas dinner and it's all okay Mm. so um I I with that in my head I went in with with, in this film like okay this is what it is not saying that it was a good thing because I'm a little fatigued with the white savior narrative so um I I I can't give this film too much of a credit uh, even with you know his Tony's son when I found that out, it made sense. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this is not Don Shirley's story. 
as much as I would love to because even Mahershala said like he had to do a lot of work with his character because he didn't have a lot to go with with Vigo it was like he had he went to dinner with Tony's family Mm -hmm. he had all these stories all these anecdotes he had all these letters he had so much to work with and then you had Mahershala who didn't have a lot and yet he in my opinion is the best part of the movie yes character Um, I will fight anyone about it (laughs) (laughs) he is so brilliant his mannerisms the way he learned piano and the way he was so he's such a perfectionist he made sure that he did it right and for and did the character justice and so um and, I, and people are like oh should i see it? i'm like okay you know don't go see it like again it's not it's not it's not too offensive or anything it's just i'm a little fatigued with this this consistency of having the main character be white and then the rest of it the story being like you know oh they're going to alabama oh they run into trouble Uh uh-oh and you know and then you know something happens and it was like over and over again so um i didn't hate it i didn't love it i just i i just love herschla and i want him to he's a beacon of hope and i for him so that's my review okay that's it so what did you think candace Oh, I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I love Candace. (laughs) And we're done. (laughs) I actually went in with really high expectations. I have way too much knowledge about the Green Books. Um, Mm -hmm. Just, I actually have felt the Green Books. I understood their history. And the more and more I knew about them, because they're actually here at the Schomburg Center in New York City. They're the original Mm -hmm. copies. You can actually hold them. They're extremely fragile because of overuse and because they're old. Um, so, like, you can, they're very, very, like, cautious about, you know, you handling them. Um, and usually you have to put, like, plastic on them and everything. I say this all to say when I heard that there was going to be a movie called Green Book with Hugo Mortensen and Herschel Ali, I nearly died because I was like, that sounds like the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Right. Same, same. They are two of my favorite actors um, and about something that, about um, the, a legacy of books that literally saved the lives of black people. And I was just like, wow, how are they going to do that? Then I heard it was going to, it was directed by Peter Farrelly. I was very concerned. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. But you know, Mahershala and Vigo are just, they just, they make everything better. They're going to be great. It's the green books. Like I get it. I get, you know, what's going on. And so I actually don't think I actually watched the trailer. Cause I was like, I'm going to see this movie regardless. Cause I'm so hyped. <laughs> <laughs> So like I'm like this is it's funny because I felt like I had higher expectations than most people, mm. and I feel most strongly oh, against no. it than most. People. It was <laughs> like, like a big high and then a big drop. <laughs> right, right. So I'm watching it and I'm just like, oh, you mean the Green Book, but not actually the Green Book. Oh, that's stupid. Okay. <laughs> so, so, and then like the little glimpses of the green book is never in the hands of a black person is never talked about. Oh, that's a great it's, point. There's some kind of working knowledge that Tony has about the, the green books that he's given by another white person. He's given the green books like, Hey, you know, I think it's another white person. One of uh, Don Shirley's people. He has a gigantic entourage, Yeah, but he was just like, Hey, um, you know, he needs this. Not really any explanation of why, just like, Hey, he like, you should definitely look this over because you need this in your travels, whatever. No explanation. Do you know how many people don't know what the green books are? Right. So you need some type of explanation. That's kind of, 
longer than like a flimsy handoff for your audience, especially yeah. if you name your your movie The Green Book. Mm. They had the so mid, I, the little conversation with his wife before he left. She's like, they need a book? He's like, yeah, you know, the, the Negroes, they needed to go and travel. <laughs> and she's like, they need no. a book to travel? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. You know, and, crazy. Then, and that's so, how they br- introduce so, it. It's so wild because like he obviously doesn't know either. He's just like, I don't know, these these Negroes, they just need this book. I don't know what they need it for, whatever. I'm just, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just gonna put it in my bag. And like every time we saw the book, he yeah. was eating on it because he had a voracious appetite. Right. <laughs> he, <did. laughs> he was like eating on it. He had like these Italian subs on it. It was slipping on the car. And I just kept looking at it because I know how fragile these books are. Yes. Right. So I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's eating on it. You know, like, you're not even allowed to touch these things. And you're like, I'm, I'm you're done. holding historical treasure. Yeah. And you're just throwing it literally like to the side. Yeah. And it's like I think he picks it up once or twice. And if mm-hmm. I ever see this movie again, which I doubt I ever will, mm-hmm. I have to count how many times he picks it up. I know it's there's like a very quick glimpse of it mm-hmm. when it's first introduced and then it's a glimpse when he's basically eating his dinner on it, his third dinner of the day on it. <laughs> <laughs> like in the car. And so right away, after like with all of that, I'm just like Wow, this is re- this is like sacrilegious. Mm. <laughs> this is sacrilegious. Yeah. And yeah. then you know, I was just like, okay, let me try to divorce my mind from the Green Book, even though I'm watching a movie that's called the Green Book that's mm-hmm. not actually about the Green Book. Mm-hmm. And so let me try to divorce my mind from that. And so then the it seemed like it seemed like th- there's obviously some type of uh, conflicted relationship that Don Shirley had about his blackness, which I I do love the way that they showed that in the film. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. he's, he, but he's acutely aware of what racism is. Right. Yes. That, that he might not, he might kind of divorce himself from all, like all of our areas of blackness, but he, he's very aware of what racism is. Yeah. Right. However, what's the guys and call him Italian sub. Tony, Tony Lip. Tony, Tony. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Tony so he, he is the one who's really almost like teaching the audience and teaching Don Shirley, no, 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 you can't go over there. You can't go to this bar because of this book that I don't even really know what's going on in this book. But they just told me that you can't, you can't, you can only go to these places that are in this book. And also you shouldn't go to that bar because they're going to, they're going to do something to you. I don't really know what, (laughs) but, Mm. but he's the one that's really kind of being the caution for racism as though this black man don't know what it is. (laughs) And like, but it's like a continued theme throughout the movie that, that Tony Lip, who is a known racist, has more of an understanding of what racism is, and he can actually teach the audience. It's so heavily white gaze that it's nauseating. Mm. Well, that's part so- of why I think we need a deeper dive into Dr. Shirley's life, because mm-hmm. we, from what we do see, there was so much going on with the man, clearly an alcoholic, you know, putting away a bottle of liquor every night. Cutty because, Sark, dog. Cutty Sark, mm-hmm. because he's contending with the issues of class he's facing because I think his disconnect from black folks isn't necessarily a race thing. It's a class thing. Mm-hmm. Um, two, he's dealing with his sexuality, which is at, at this time, he doesn't know, he doesn't have the language to, to, to try and parse what's going on, but he knows how he feels. You know, he was married once that marriage didn't work. And, right. you know, they had the scene in, in the shower with at the, at the YMCA which they kind of cut to and cut away mm-hmm. and deal with as quickly as they can. Yeah. But, you know, I, that just, that, I'm, I'm watching that saying, okay, now I really need to see what's going on in his mind trying to figure out how am I a, a black gay man who's 
classically trained, talented, trying to connect with someone, anyone in this world. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a movie by itself, a devoid of Tony, devoid of even his his art. Mm. You know, and then you know, so there's just so much. I just want more. Yeah. I this movie didn't know what it wanted to be. It didn't mm. know it, it it tried to present itself as the green book. It definitely was not about that. Mm. Tried to present itself about about trying to be about Don Shirley. It is not about Don Shirley. No. It is really about Tony Lip. And it's about Tony Lip's um awakening of racism in the deep south with this black gay man who's ridiculously talented. Um and he doesn't even he's also the type of white character that doesn't really um assimilate talent with black people. So right. he's, it's really his awakening of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be racist. And by the end, he's, he's like, sure, he's, he's like, he's welcoming this guy who um, he wants like, I mean, what's interesting about our first meeting with Mahershala, and I, I, will, I will say that these are two of, my, two of my favorite things about this movie that I hate, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that Mahershala's character, John Shirley, we meet him and he's like sitting on a throne. Yes. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is how life should be. Like, Mahershala's <laughs> always should be sitting yes, on a throne the in the middle of like, Absolutely. what was it? it was Carnegie only- Hall. Carnegie Hall. I yes. Like, oh my gosh, this yes. is so perfect. Absolutely. And so there's so many things that 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 um, that initial introduction is breaking in terms of how mm. we have seen images of blackness on screen, yes. and that it never does that again. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it was a pro. It, it felt like a promise of things to come, and then oh, my feelings on Green Book are just so conflicted right now because, on the one hand. I never knew who Don Shirley was before this movie was announced. Like, I knew about the Green Book. I had a working knowledge on what the Green Book was. Um, Don Shirley was someone that I had never heard of before. Mm -hmm. And, like, after I saw the movie, I went on YouTube and iTunes, and I've just been, like, listening to his music, like, nonstop. This man was a genius, Mm -hmm. like, a musical genius. And I agree with you guys that I feel like there needs to be a whole other story. There needs to be a whole other movie about Don Shirley and then there needs to be a whole other movie and I will say Peter Farrelly when I did the panel he did admit to that he was like this movie is you know that we do deserve a he whole other he made it very clear he's like, yeah. look he looked just so, just a heads up this mm-hmm. is not like we're not trying to do this this he, he, i think there was a level but the movie's called green book I yeah know, i know uh, of course, <laughs> yes. of course. <laughs> he, he yeah. definitely was yeah he definitely was at the screening he was definitely yeah i think he kept breaking interrupting say i just want because the questioning was steering to a conversation where i yes. feel like he just didn't want any confusion it's like mm-hmm. we're not trying to be this i and i just want y'all to know and i yeah he said like twice I'm like, okay, I get it. All right. Well, the thing but is, I mean, name, but your movie's called The Green Book. Yeah. Well, just, 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 <laughs> Candace is not letting that go. Yeah, at all. yeah. No. Full disclosure. Like the thing is, like you know, um, when I found out I got the panel, you know, you have to screen the movie before you do the panel. So I saw the movie. And the thing, you know, and Jerry and I had a conversation with this. I screened the movie, and then the next day I started working on the questions for the panel. And I had a conversation with Jerry. Well, I called him on the phone, and I was like, listen, I mean, I know you know, my responsibility as a panelist, like I have to, you know, they're there. When you're doing Oscar panels, it's really them 
saying this is why my movie is worthy of an Oscar nomination, right? right? This It's basically a pitch, right? It's, it's promotion. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it's good. You're finding out about behind the scenes or whatever. But for me, I knew that being a panelist who's a black woman, I knew that I had a certain responsibility. My responsibility ultimately had to be about the history about the Green Book, right? Like, no matter how much I loved or hated the, or hated the movie, I was like, how can I approach this panel in a way that we don't undercut in a way that we don't minimize the importance of what the green book was so i went on twitter i went on amazon i ordered a copy of the green book Mm -hmm. i ordered it was the 1940 edition and for anybody listening you can actually order a copy of the green book on amazon it's seven dollars um the first green book was published in 1936 and the last one was published in 1966 the year after the civil rights act was passed and so i got the 1940 version I started looking at it and just like reading it and just like, cause it's state by state, they're listing like, these are the restaurants you should go to. These are the ones you should avoid. Like there's actually a letter in the middle of the of the green book where they're talking about Washington DC and it actually says, do not stay longer than a few hours in DC. Damn. As black people, they were Damn. like, do your tour, go see mm. the White House and get your black ass back on the bus. Well, they didn't, <laughs> not that they said that. And get the hell out of here cuz it was basically like a sundown town, a oh, sundown town. Wow. So they were and so this is the history that I was sitting with and I was like, wow. And so I felt like if I'm going to do this panel, if I'm going to run this panel, I really need the people who are sitting in there and watching this movie to understand the significance of what the Green Book meant. So I started out the panel by actually reading a letter uh, to the publisher. It was a letter from the publisher to the creator of the Green Book. It was Victor Hugo Green. He's the one who created it. And read it. And I think that kind of shifted the whole tone of the panel because I think they probably went in like, oh, we're going to, and then they were like. this movie, and you're like, no, we're going to promote this book. (laughs) You know, like, I was like, I feel like we can, can, I can can do two things. Like, okay, you Mm. know, there are people who put work into this movie, but I also really want people to understand the source of where all of that came from. Like this green book, like you said, Candace, it literally saved lives. There were Mm. black families, who knows what places they could have walked into and what could have been you know, lynched or killed, and then nobody would have said anything, right? right? So this book, and then think about the people who had to do the canvassing, mm. where you had to travel and find out which places, because the only way you know some places isn't safe un- unless you go there, oh, or yeah. word of mouth, right? So somebody had to spill some blood to know this is not the place you go to. So I really feel like the Green Book deserves more than a movie. In my mind, I would love to see a narrative dramatic series Netflix, I'm giving you an idea, uh, <laughs> called The Green Book, where it could travel. You can go, you can do the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, and it could be an anthology series, which every episode is a different family or a different person, different parts of the of the U.S. Because uh, at the time that they, uh, into the 1960s, they had created a green book for overseas travel in Europe, mm. uh, places to go to in uh, the U.K., places to go mm. to in Paris and Spain or whatever. So I definitely feel like those are, a Don Shirley biopic and I hope they bring back Mahershala because he was let me talk about Mahershala for a minute in this performance if if Gravy can be Biggie twice Mahershala can be Don Shirley twice yes thank um, (laughs) thank you because I think what Mahershala Mahershala and you mentioned this Erica is the fact that there was there's a lot of limited video footage of the real Don Shirley I think there's a there's a documentary and that's about it there's not really a lot of stuff so like you said uh, you know Mahershala didn't really have that much to wear as far as like creating and crafting the persona of Don Shirley and so for you to walk in and 
to be able to be like, I'm going to make this person a multi, like a complex person that has like these, uh, you know, that they're just, it's just a lot of internal struggle that's going on with Don Shirley, the blackness, uh, being trained as a classical pianist and then being told you can't play this music because nobody's going to accept a black man playing classical music. So you are just going to do these pops and these renditions mm -hmm. and you're going to have to deal with that. You know what I'm saying? And then on top of that, his sexuality. Mm -hmm. You're a, closet, a closeted gay black man on top of everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just feel that Mahershala just brought all these layers and nuances and it was a certain, it was a certain sorrow that he brought to Don Shirley that it just it just made my heart ache like my like my body ached for his character but not in a traumatic not in a, a traumatic porn, porn pornographic way but more in a way of just this guy who's just like really a victim of his time mm -hmm. you know what I mean and so I think this is why we do need a Don Shirley biopic because we need to know what happens after that yeah right yeah. because yes his friendship um for people who don't know uh don shirley and tony valalonga actually remained friends and they actually died within like three or four months of each other a right. few years ago so mm. they they maintain the friendship but i would love to know like how did he reconcile his blackness how did he mm. reconcile his queerness like was there ever a time where he was able to just be who he was and what happened to the music did his music change after that you know what i mean because i i did notice in 1968 he did an album um that was like black gospel music uh one of the songs was i wish i was free like he was doing sort of like mm -hmm. his cover rendition so i do feel that mahershala i hope that he gets all the award nominations because that was a hell of a performance and that ju is just a testament of his talent that even he transcended what he was giving. He was like, okay, y'all gonna give me that, but I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna flip it. And um, Erica, and you and I can talk about this really quickly, is that um, in the panel on, on Tuesday, oh, yes. Mahershala says, and I hope that the Academy keeps this in the, in, in the video that they drop, mm -hmm. um, I asked him about the parallels between him and Don Shirley, right? Because Don Shirley was a black artist who was policed, right? They were telling him that you were a black artist that cannot play classical music mm -hmm. because nobody it's, the music is too white or whatever. They don't feel that you can, uh, you know, perform it or they won't buy it, right? So then I asked Mahershala, I was like, in your acting career, was there ever a time where you felt your blackness was pleased? Did you ever feel that there was a role where they felt that you were too black for it or not black enough? Mm. Child. Listen, mm. when I tell you, he, please do, question. Erica. So I'm seeing the audience, and, I'm, and he's, he kind of, at first he asked her again because he didn't get the last question, and I, he kind of adjusted himself, like, okay, he's going to do a very PR, very tame answer. When I tell you, he dropped the date, he said, well, actually, and he did like a, like a <laughs> Sophia Patrillo, like, picture it, 2010. And I was like, oh my God, he's actually going to start dropping some tea. And so he said, he auditioned for the A team. Mm -hmm. um, the 2010 uh, A team with Bradley Cooper and Liam Neeson. Right. Liam Neeson back in So he's supposed to play the Mr. T role, yes, basically. Yes. He was auditioning for that. Mm. And so they flew him out to Canada, which which meant like they were interested in, in him. And so he was talking to the director, and they're chatting with each other. And then all of a sudden, the director was like, you know what? This isn't going to work out. And he's like, well, why? He's like, you're too nice. It was like, wait, well, I... I I'm an actor. My 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 job is to transform. Was the matter that I'm too nice, and so it was interesting because then he started talking about how he was in the same audition room with like Fifty Cent mm. and like this M mm. this MMA fighter who ended up getting the role. I can't remember Ram his Rampage name. Rampage Jackson. Yes, yep. and so he and he like, he made it very clear. I'm not shading these two actors at all, but you know I'm a trained actor, and I find it interesting how 
you know, as black actors, I don't have the, the room to transform or there's no respect for the, the craft of, of being a different character. Unlike white actors like De Niro, who, can, who, who is known for being a method actor who can transform. And so um, I just found it so fascinating, you know, because he was right. I never considered the fact that, you know, as black actors, we don't have, there's not that level of respect to, you know, they have to find the, for a rough character, they have to get a rap or, or like a, a fighter. Like they don't, consider mm. the actor to just you know just do his job right and um i just thought he said it so so beautifully and was very respectful but mm-hmm. it, w- it was a great it was a great and i was like yes yeah i, I think the part <laughs> that caught me that was so funny um was when he was talking about transformational acting and he was like you know the funny thing is he was like you know one of the one of the roles that people come to me and talk to me about is Remy Banton mm-hmm. on House of Cards, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite. I love mm-hmm. Remy Banton, and I keep mm-hmm. saying Netflix, please give him a spinoff. Um, <laughs> you know, just like Black Politicals in DC, I would watch that. And oh, uh, yes. yeah, and so he was like, "What people don't know, he was like the Remy Banton character is so far away from who I am. People believe it." Right, and that is because of my classical training as an actor to be a transformational actor. But he was like, "I'm nothing like Remy Banton," mm. which is which kind of threw me off because I was like, "You're not." He right. was like, "You know what I mean?" But he was like, "But the character of Juan in Moonlight," he was like, "That's more of who I am." Because he was like, I "Grew up in the Bay Area." People don't know that mm. Marshall was a rapper, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and interesting. It, and a spoken word artist. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so they just they see Mahershala, and then so you know you have this. Um, industry that just um, that projects their images of what blackness should be right and and particularly if you're a black actor and a dark-skinned black actor you have to be this alpha male actor and you don't have the space or the nuances um, to do roles that kind of run in that spectrum you know what I'm saying so but this goes back to his performance in Green Book I really feel that Mahershala did a great job Um, is the movie guilty of the white gays Yes. (laughs) Because, I mean, if you look at the credits, like, well, there's no black screenwriters and it's not directed by a black person. And I'm not saying that white people can't direct black movies. I mean, this one can't. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's the ever the everlasting debate. Can white people make movies about the black experience? Um, My question is my answer is always it depends. And uh, number two, the question is, as a white director, you should be asking yourself, why do you want to tell that, spe- that, that specific That's story? And mm. are you qualified to tell that specific story? Right. Um, it will be up to the people who watch Green Book to answer those questions. Um, I am saying the fact that um, if, if, if the movie was made from Don Shirley's point of view, the movie would have looked different. Mm-hmm. Is all I'm saying is that it would have looked different, and if it had black screenwriters and a black director, the point of view because this goes into a bigger um, this goes into a bigger conversation, uh, overarching conversation of which stories get to be told, right? Because people feel that movies, much like journalism, is about objectivism, right? Is that it's subjective? Oh, it's just a movie. That was the movie that they. No, when you have a studio and the studio executives who decide this is what we're going to, you know, sign two twenty million dollars to or a hundred million dollars to, there is a certain subjective. It's it's subjective because it all starts with. What does the room look like? Who's right. sitting in those rooms? Who's right. making those decisions? Which stories get to be told? Which stories don't get to be told? Um, because much like Don Shirley, I think there was just a story in the New York Times about one. Of, she was an African-American woman music composer. Mm. What? I'm 
like that needs to be a movie. There are right. so many talented black classical musicians that musicians that we have. Yeah. No, I know because I love classical music that yeah. no one else knows. Was and that they, one Philippa Schuyler? I, I feel like uh, uh, Alicia Keys was supposed to do a biopic of her. She was a classically trained black or mixed race uh, musician, yeah. but I don't yeah. think that ever got. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, so it's really about there is a certain sub, a subjective view of what kind of stories um, want to be told. Like I know they they want to work on a, a Mike Brown story, right? Um, the mother wrote a book and she sold the the rights to the book to Warner Brothers, I think, or Universal. So then the question is, um, who's going to direct it? Who's gonna Who's gonna write the screenplay? And which point of view are you going to do this story from? Is will it actually be well, from Mike Brown's point of view? Or are you gonna do it from the from the guy that shot him down in cold blood? Like that. Those are the questions that I have. It's it's right, and that's and that's as we know, that's mm. highly likely that they can possibly do something like that. <laughs> yeah. But it but it's just like you know, if Barry Jenkins or if any mm-hmm. any array of black filmmakers pitch these stories whether it be mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still gonna go with the green books whether yes. it be you know if you say that you're you have a movie called the green book i'm thinking it's about the green book call me crazy <laughs> but you know so and so that um so I'm, I'm seeing like if there was a black filmmaker who was pitching this oh these these you know under discuss under really a lot of people don't know about the green books i didn't know about them until a couple years ago honestly but i know a lot of black people who don't know about the green books so that means white ass hollywood does not know about the green books (laughs) so if a black director comes and say i want to do a movie called the green books oh it's about xyz um that's what the actual green books are and this is don shirley he will be he'll get shut down immediately but if Mm. a white director um even if it's a good one like say peter farelli actually did a great job see like let's pretend that that happened (laughs) he gets to have that allegiance even if he comes from no background that ever gives you any type of right. indication that this might be very good in his hands mm-hmm. he, it doesn't like he just gets the keys to the car without any questions asked and all his white male screenwriters can come along with him mm-hmm. and that's just something like you know i don't i think I think Ray is a fantastic movie i think i don't think that white filmmakers don't know how to do black films Hmm. at large i don't think i won't i won't generalize that way because there are some that are very very good right but they just get the allegiance they it doesn't even matter like you they can come up with any story any black story and they're like yeah you do it let it be steven spielberg let it be this person anybody over a black film director and that's what i I take issue with Mm. interesting enough is that they brought in octavia spencer to be an executive producer she is a producer yep yeah because they basically wanted her to give to bring kind of that some of that hidden figures mojo to the to the project Mm -hmm. you know but yeah um unfortunately our time's (laughs) up but uh thank you so much jerry erica and candace thank you for your insight and your thoughts we will see you on the other side guys bye thank you for joining us for another episode of the spectrum lounge you can find our guests on twitter erica mann at the nyc film chick Candace Frederick at Real Talker and Jerry L. Barrow at J.L. Barrow. You can also find our host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon at FilmVital underscore NYC. 
You can also help support the Spectrum Lounge by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash underscore NYC. Thank you for listening. Until next time.